AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 61 of AFF On Air, the podcast that teaches you how to maximise your frequent flyer points. It's Saturday the 29th of May 2021. Coming up in this episode, I'll give an update on the Trans-Tasman Travel Bubble, Velocity's generous new bonus status credits offer, and are there any fringe benefit tax implications associated with frequent flyer points? But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. And sadly, we've had yet another reminder this week that the pandemic is not over yet, with Melbourne back in lockdown for seven days. As a result, most Australian states and territories except New South Wales, as well as New Zealand, have reimposed border restrictions on travellers from Melbourne or from Victoria. Despite this, domestic travel in Australia overall has recovered pretty well. And in fact, over the past fortnight, all of the major Australian airlines have announced even more new domestic flight routes. From August, Qantas will add direct flights from Adelaide to Townsville, Cairns and Hobart, as well as Sydney and Melbourne to Townsville and Perth to Gold Coast. Qantas will also resume its own flights from Sydney to Uluru uh, from March next year, adding a second option other than Jetstar. In addition, Qantas will soon be flying more Airbus A330s to Darwin. During the peak upcoming dry season, Qantas will fly A330s from Sydney and Brisbane to Darwin up to twice a day and once a day from Melbourne to Darwin. And that means that if you're flying from Darwin to Sydney or Brisbane on one of those overnight red-eye flights, if you're in business class, you might get a lie-flat bed. Qantas has also upgraded one of its daily Sydney to Perth flights to a Boeing 787 from this week. The 787 has 42 lie-flat business class seats that are normally used on international long-haul flights. And the planes are also fitted with a premium economy cabin. Now, Qantas won't be selling the premium economy seats, so instead they're going to be available to select for free, as long as they're still available, by Gold, Platinum and Platinum One frequent flyers. So that's a nice little upgrade if you're flying on QF645 from Sydney to Perth or QF648 from Perth to Sydney. This week also saw the launch of Qantas Embraer E-190 flights operated by Alliance Airlines on the Adelaide Alice Springs, Adelaide to Darwin and Darwin to Adelaide routes. An AFF member goes by the handle of Flydock was on the inaugural flight from Adelaide to Alice Springs and they described it as perfectly adequate. The E-190s have 10 business class seats in a 1-2 layout and 84 economy seats with two seats per row on each side of the aisle. Virgin Australia will also launch five new domestic routes from July with Cairns-Perth, Sydney to Townsville, Adelaide to Cairns and Melbourne to Townsville flights, as well as a seasonal daily Sydney to Darwin flight that will operate during the dry season. And Rex has announced another new Boeing 737 jet route for itself with two daily flights between Melbourne and Canberra set to start from the 10th of June. Rex's launch fares on the route are just $69 one way, which is significantly lower than the $185 Virgin Australia fares or the $218 Qantas fares that had been the cheapest available over recent months. And the Rex fares do include checked baggage. Virgin Australia immediately matched Rex's $69 airfare, and on the day that Rex announced its competing service, Qantas also dropped its prices on some Melbourne Canberra flights to $99. 
Speaking of wrecks, it looks like the regional carrier turned jet operator may now be rolling out in-flight Wi-Fi. Earlier this week, an AFF member posted live updates while on board a Rex flight from Adelaide to Melbourne using the in-flight Wi-Fi which was available on their aircraft. According to the AFF member Fortunate Crow, Rex's in-flight Wi-Fi could be accessed at no cost by finding the Wi-Fi network, entering a capture code and accepting the terms and conditions, and the service is provided by GoGo in-flight internet. While this seems like it would be a great service for Rex passengers, it's not actually clear yet whether the free Wi-Fi will be rolled out to all other Rex Boeing 737s or whether this is just a short trial. Rex has not provided any information about in-flight Wi-Fi on its website, and in fact one of the flight attendants on board that flight from Adelaide to Melbourne wasn't even aware that Wi-Fi was available. Rex never responded to our queries either, so we're not really sure, but who knows, maybe we'll be seeing Wi-Fi on more Rex 737s in the future. Virgin Australia flights all over the country last Friday evening, that was the 21st of May, so last week, suffered significant delays as an extended global outage of the airline's IT provider brought its systems offline. Some Australian frequent flyer members were caught up in the out- and the outage and described chaotic scenes at airports on Friday night as airline staff scrambled to manually check in passengers and get as many flights away as they could, albeit late. But with the airline's computer systems unavailable, passengers needed to be manually checked in and their bags manually accounted for. Over 30 flights were cancelled and almost every Virgin flight scheduled to depart after 4.30 on that Friday afternoon were delayed. And the delays continued into Saturday morning. The delays were caused by a global IT outage affecting Sabre, which is a travel technology company used by many airlines including Virgin Australia and Rex, as well as many overseas airlines. American Airlines and JetBlue, for example, were also caught up in the same outage. Qantas has overhauled its call centre in an effort to improve the quality of the service provided. But there have been some teething issues, with Platinum members reporting waiting hours on hold and others complaining that the new menu is not user-friendly. A few weeks ago, the Qantas call centre implemented a new interactive voice response menu, or IVR menu, with more options for customers to choose from when calling up. In addition, calls relating to certain types of issues are now being sent to dedicated specialist teams. So, for example, calls relating to more complex issues like lost baggage or international award bookings are now being sent to the Hobart Premium Call Centre, where staff are specifically trained to take these kinds of calls. Inquiries relating to Qantas Frequent Flyer or Qantas Business Rewards are generally being directed to staff in Manila, while more simple requests like domestic flight reservations could be put through to any of the call centres in either Hobart, Auckland or Cape Town. The good news is that the temporary issue causing Platinum members to wait for ages on hold have been now resolved, and going forward Platinum Frequent Flyers should continue to get calls picked up by the premium staff who are highly trained. The menu options have also changed recently when you call Qantas, and instead of putting your frequent flyer number in straight away, you now have to listen to a long recorded message and then select the options first before you put in your frequent flyer number. But to make things easier for you, we did put together a quick guide to the new Qantas call center menu options, and you can see the new IVR menu mapping in our article, which is called Major Qantas Call Center Changes, and that's linked in the episode notes for this podcast. A Ryanair flight travelling from Athens to Vilnius has been effectively hijacked by the government of Belarus this week, whose air force intercepted the plane and forced it to divert to Minsk, the capital of Belarus, while the plane was flying over Belarusian airspace. The Belarus authorities claimed they had received an email detailing a bomb threat, which they claimed required the plane to divert to Minsk. But the real reason for the diversion was to arrest a journalist who's been highly critical of the government of Belarus, which is widely known as Europe's last dictatorship. 
The journalist was detained after the plane landed, and there have been reports that he may have been tortured in the meantime. In, a, in an attempt to justify the forced diversion, the Belarus government produced an email sent from a Proton Mail account, which they claim is a bomb threat sent by a terrorist organization. But Proton Mail has since confirmed that the email was actually sent after the plane was redirected to Minsk. The European Union has banned European airlines since then from overflying Belarus airspace, and in retaliation, the EU has also banned Belarusian airlines from entering EU airspace or flying to Europe. On a more positive note now, Velocity Frequent Flyer has launched its new partnership with 7-Eleven petrol stations and convenience stores. Velocity members can now earn one Velocity point per litre of petrol at 7-Eleven petrol stations, increasing to two points per litre on premium fuel. Velocity members can also earn one point per dollar on in-store purchases at 7-Eleven. To earn Velocity points at 7-Eleven, simply link your Velocity account to your My 7-Eleven account, which you can do in the My 7-Eleven app. And until the 28th of June, you can also earn 711 bonus Velocity points on your first 7-Eleven purchase when scanning your card. Velocity Frequent Flyer used to partner with BP, but this partnership was ended by PP in early 2020, uh, with BP now partnering instead with Qantas Frequent Flyer. Qantas has added new benefits for Points Club and Points Club Plus members. In addition to all the existing benefits, Qantas Points Club now comes with Qantas Hotels vouchers, Qantas Wine vouchers, and exclusive offers, the first of which was an exclusive double status credits offer for Points Club members last week. The airline is also introducing a new milestone bonus reward at the halfway point between Points Club and the higher Points Club Plus tier. So now after earning 250,000 Qantas points within a year, Qantas is giving 2,500 bonus points. It's the first time Qantas has made changes to its Points Club program since launching it in March 2020. Qantas will reduce the commission paid to travel agents on international tickets from 5% to just 1% from next year. And Qantas already pays no commission to travel agents for domestic airfares. The airline expects that this change will, and I'll quote here, accelerate the growing industry trend towards a fee-for-service model that has already taken place in many markets overseas and among several agency chains in Australia, which compensates travel agents for the added value they provide customers. And that's the end of the quote. Of course, travel agents changing their business models is one possibility here, but another outcome could be that if other airlines don't follow the same trend, travel agents could just push their clients to book with other airlines who pay a higher commission. So we'll see what happens there, but not good news for travel agents. And the most expensive domestic flights in Australia have been revealed. Of course, with some domestic flights much longer than others and airlines selling both economy and business class tickets on many routes, it's difficult to say that any one single route is the most expensive. So instead, we used a range of uh, different metrics when calculating this, looking at routes in terms of both the most expensive ticket price and the cost per kilometre flown. But regardless of the metric used, all of the most expensive routes had one thing in common. That was Qantas. The most expensive economy class ticket price is a Qantas flight from Sydney to Broome, which costs starting at $597 one way in economy. And in business class, the most expensive ticket was again Qantas from Perth to Sydney, which costs $2,572 for a normal business class airfare. Now, if we look at things per kilometre flown, the most expensive economy class airfare was again with Qantas from Cloncurry to Mount Isa where it's going to cost $1.87 per kilometre, uh, followed by Qantas from um, Adelaide to Kangaroo Island. 
And the most expensive business class airfare per kilometre flown was, again with Qantas, from Canberra to Sydney, where it's cost $3.14 per kilometre at the normal price. Now, for the purposes of these comparisons, we check the lowest regularly available airfare on direct scheduled passenger flights outside of limited time sales and promotions, like the half-price airfares deal. And admittedly, some flights on other routes may be more expensive than this on some dates, but they do have lower standard fares available on other dates. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Well, I'm very pleased to say that last week I was able to take my first international flight in 14 months. Now, it was just to New Zealand, of course, taking advantage of the trans-Tasman travel bubble that launched last month. But after 420 days stuck in Australia, and since I also have family in New Zealand, it was great to be able to fly over to Auckland. And I can honestly say it was one of the most surreal travel experiences I've ever had. It wasn't quite as weird as in March 2020, when I flew from Europe to Australia right at the start of the pandemic, and it certainly was not as stressful as that. But I have never seen the international terminal at Sydney Airport so quiet in my life. I had some spare time before my flight, so I walked from one end of the terminal, the international terminal, to the other. And in most parts of the airport, you could quite literally hear a pin drop. It was just so empty. The duty-free stores were open, and for some reason, Sumo Salad was open too, as was the tourist refund scheme office. But most of the rest of the airside shops were all boarded up. Even McDonald's was closed, both of them. So too were most of the airline lounges, except for the Air New Zealand lounge and the Qantas First lounge, which were open. But yeah, it was a Wednesday afternoon and the only flights leaving were there were a couple to Auckland, one to Wellington, and then a few very lightly loaded flights late in the evening to Seoul, Haneda, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Doha and Colombo. There was also supposed to be a Qantas charter flight to Chennai leaving, but that had been cancelled. I booked a business class ticket using my Qantas points, and since the Qantas business lounge is still closed in Sydney, I was able to use the first lounge. And I did arrive early to maximise the lounge time, but for a while, I was the only customer in the lounge for nearly an hour, actually. Uh, Needless to say, the service was excellent, and even though the a la carte menu at the lounge has been cut back a little bit, the food on offer was all very good. And And there's no champagne on the menu, but if you ask really nicely, and specifically for champagne, they do have some available on request, I can confirm. Now, I booked an A330 flight across to Auckland, and fortunately, it was one of the few A330 flights last week which wasn't downgraded to a Boeing 737. And the A330 business class product is significantly better with lie flat suites, a bit more privacy, and direct aisle access for every passenger, so I was very grateful for that. On board, business class was around half full, I'd say, and economy was just over a quarter full. But I hope for Qantas's sake that there was lots of cargo, because otherwise, I'm not sure how they're going to be making much money out of that flight. But um, yeah, the service on board was pretty good. There were no pillows, blankets or amenity kits. They've all gone since the start of COVID. Hopefully they'll come back sometime. And the meal service has also been simplified quite a bit. There's no longer any printed menus and there was no entree or anything like that. Everything served on one meal tray. And there are also no spirits at the moment on any Qantas flights. But there was at least champagne, <laughs> again. And the meal choices were pretty much the same as what you'd get on a Qantas domestic flight. There was no real differentiation there being an international service. Uh, and the meal was served with uh, bread and a little tea cake for dessert. It was all right. 
For what it's worth, I believe all of the Qantas flights from New Zealand back to Australia at the moment are also being double-catered out of Australia, meaning you'll probably get pretty much the same thing on the return trip, except for one flight, the morning flight QF142 from Auckland to Sydney. Um, The meals for that flight are being prepared in New Zealand, I believe. Before flying over to New Zealand, I did have to complete a New Zealand travel declaration form. And there are also a few announcements on the plane about COVID-19 and New Zealand customs. They seem to have a new customs video for New Zealand. And the um, New Zealand inbound immigration card has also now got some extra questions about COVID-19. So it's actually now a bit of a booklet rather than just a a double-sided card. Honestly, the form did seem, and this is just my personal opinion, a little bit over the top. One of the questions required you to tick yes or no to having had all sorts of different symptoms during the past 14 days, which included all the usual COVID symptoms like loss of taste and smell, coughing and so on. But then it also asked you things like, um, have you had symptoms like sneezing and having a runny nose during the last 14 days, which I thought was more of a symptom of hay fever than COVID. But I mean, anyway, like who can honestly remember whether they've sneezed in the last 14 days? Anyway, another question asked, and I quote, have you been tested for COVID-19? Not have you been tested in the last 14 days, just have you been tested? And like most people, yes, I mean, I have been tested a few times, but the most recent time was more than two months ago. So I'm not sure why New Zealand would be interested to know that. But anyway, it's hardly a big deal. And as it happens, the arrival into New Zealand was actually pretty seamless. It was um, very, very quick from getting off the plane to getting into a taxi would have been less than 10 minutes, honestly. And I even had a checked bag. So full marks to Auckland Airport there. So that was my experience. It was pretty positive experience and I'm definitely happy that the bubbles opened. So were all of the airport staff and the airline crew, um, even the taxi drivers at the the airports on both ends were very, very happy that it was up and running. So uh, it's, yeah, it's really good to see. But um, how's the Trans-Tasman bubble going more generally? Well, tens of thousands of Australians and New Zealanders have already travelled across the Tasman taking advantage of the bubble, so I guess you could say it's a success from that point of view. And many families have been able to be reunited, some people have been able to take overseas holidays or travel for business as well, uh, which is also great news. But it does seem, unfortunately, that demand for trans-Tasman flights under the current conditions is not as high as the airlines had initially hoped for. At the moment, Qantas and Jetstar are only operating about 60% of their pre-COVID capacity across the Tasman. And according to Qantas, demand is particularly low at the moment from New Zealanders coming to Australia. Over the past week or so, Qantas has unfortunately had to react to this low demand and it has cancelled many of the Trans-Tasman flights that had been due to operate over the coming three months. Other flights have been retimed, and some that were originally scheduled to be operated by the larger Airbus A330s have been switched to smaller 737s, including, for example, on the Sydney to Christchurch route. Since the Trans-Tasman bubble was launched on the 19th of April, Queenstown has been a very popular destination for Australians, though. And in fact, Qantas is now operating 170% of its pre-COVID capacity between Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Queenstown. But yeah, bookings on other routes, particularly ones like Gold Coast to Auckland, Brisbane to Auckland and Sydney to Christchurch, have fallen short of expectations. Unfortunately, the confidence in the travel bubble took another hit this week with the New Zealand government pausing flights between Victoria and New Zealand until next, at least next Friday, um, while Melbourne remains in lockdown. And this is not the first time flights have been paused. There have been pauses previously with the states of Western Australia and New South Wales, although have, those have been relatively short-lived, which is good news. And I would also point out the recent changes to Qantas schedules and all those cancellations actually happened before the Melbourne outbreak this week. 
The new Qantas route from Gold Coast to Auckland, which only launched for the first time a month ago, it's actually Qantas's first international service from the Gold Coast, has been unfortunately a bit of a fizzer. Um, Qantas has actually just cancelled all of the flights on this route um, between now and the July school holidays, except for some reason the first week in June. Um, but yeah, a lot of customers have been disrupted because of that. Uh, Qantas is hoping the route will become more popular during winter. Uh, and during winter, Qantas is also going to be launching for the first time a flight from Auckland to Cairns. So for this to work, um, Qantas will be relying on pretty much on New Zealanders looking to go to a destination during the winter, which has a bit more sun and beaches. But they've got competition now. Queensland is no longer the only option for New Zealanders, with the New Zealand government launching another travel last week uh, with the Cook Islands. Um, just on a side note, it's a bit of a shame that Australians aren't also allowed to travel to the Cook Islands. And I mean, frankly, there's no reason that we shouldn't be allowed to go to Rarotonga. There's, um, you know, there's no COVID cases there. But the Australian government continues to ban Australians from travelling there for some reason. Anyway, so the lack of demand for New Zealand travel seems to have caught Qantas a little bit by surprise. They were very optimistic when the travel bubble was announced and added lots of trans-Tasman flights to their schedule back in April. But Virgin Australia said right from the start when the bubble was announced that they didn't think it was worth relaunching flights to New Zealand just yet, especially when the border situation was so volatile and still is. Virgin Australia has now actually suspended the sale of all flights to New Zealand indefinitely, with the exception of flights from Sydney and Brisbane to Queenstown, which are due to commence on the 18th of September. So again, Virgin is seeing that um, demand for flights to Queenstown being quite strong. At this stage, the only other international flights Virgin are selling is to Nandi and Denpasar, which are scheduled at the moment to resume in early December, although you'd have to say that that does seem rather optimistic at this point. They could be pushed back yet again. Virgin is no longer selling tickets on its flights to Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Port Vila, Apia or Honiara at all right now. And on the other side of the pandemic, Virgin has no plans at all to resume international flights to Dunedin, as well as Port Moresby, Rarotonga and Nukualofa in Tonga. Virgin also has no immediate plans, of course, to resume flights to Los Angeles, Hong Kong or Tokyo, as it no longer has any suitable long-haul aircraft in its fleet to serve those destinations although it may eventually return to Los Angeles and Tokyo in the distant future with a new aircraft type. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you may be interested to know that I also host eight webinars per year for AFF's sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. Each interactive hour-long online webinar covers a timely topic of interest to frequent flyers and anyone in Australia looking to travel better for less. The next webinar will be held at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday the 16th of June 2021 and the topic will be Understanding Australian Credit Card Rewards Programs. If you'd like to attend any Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, you will need to register in advance. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. Over the past few weeks, Qantas Frequent Flyer has run two double status credits promotions. One a fortnight ago, which covered bookings to New Zealand. It was open for everyone. And another one last week, which is exclusively available to Points Club members, but covered both domestic and New Zealand. Well, now it's Virgin Australia's turn. Virgin's latest offer, which is running right now, isn't exactly a double status credits offer, but it is still very interesting. Instead of giving double status credits, Virgin is giving 20 bonus status credits per flight, regardless of the length of the flight or the class of travel, uh, provided that you book any fare type other than economy getaway, which is the cheapest car fare category. So there's no bonus status credits on getaway fares. 
But on the surface, you might think that 20 bonus status credits per flight isn't that great, but if you look a bit closer, it could actually be a very lucrative offer. Now, a short Virgin Australia economy class flight booked in the Elevate fare category, so that's the cheapest fare category that will count towards this offer, and that's the middle category, normally earns 15 status credits. So 20 bonus status credits per flight means you're actually getting more than double status credits. And because it is per flight segment, this means that you get 40 bonus status credits if your itinerary has one stop, or 60 bonus status credits for a two-stop itinerary, and of course you can double that if it's a return booking. With this in mind, I did some calculations and discovered that by taking advantage of this promotion, it would be possible to earn enough Velocity status credits to earn gold status for just over $1,300. And if you already have gold Velocity status, you could renew it for another year for less than $1,000. Now, here's how. So, it normally costs $182.70 to book an Elevate ticket from Melbourne to Gold Coast via Canberra or vice versa. Now, by using a Virgin Australia discount code like CRV59, which is a current working code, you can get 10% off that and it reduces the fare price down to $166.61. So for that price, you'd be earning 15 base status credits plus 20 bonus status credits per flight. And because there's two flights here, it's via Canberra, that's 70 status credits in total with this offer. And if you book a return ticket, that's 140 status credits for a price of $333.22. If you do this three times, so three round-trip bookings from Melbourne to the Gold Coast via Canberra, you'd earn 420 Velocity status credits with this offer. And that's more than the 400 that you'd need to renew your Velocity status at a cost of just under $1,000. And if you did that a fourth time, you'd get above the 500 status credit threshold for earning gold status for the first time. Now, if you currently had, for example, Velocity Platinum status and you wanted to renew it, you could do six Melbourne to Gold Coast trips via Canberra for just under $2,000, so just double what you needed to do for gold, and you'd earn Platinum. You'd get the 800 status credits you needed for that. Um, and if you needed to get 1,000 status credits to earn Platinum for the first time, you could do eight trips from Melbourne to Gold Coast and back. Um, for It works out to be around $2,666. Now, of course, that's not the only status run available um, during this offer, although it's the best value that we could find. Using that promo code, you could also book, for example, an Elevate fare from Melbourne to Maroochydore via Sydney in the Elevate category. Uh, that's $176.43 and also earn 70 status credits. Or you could book, for example, Hobart to Brisbane via Melbourne in the Elevate category, and that costs $199.25 and earns 75 status credits. Or if you just needed a small number of status credits, you could book from Sydney to Ballina in the Elevate category for $96.65 with that promo code one way, and that earns 35 status credits, so the 15 base and 20 bonus status credits. To take advantage of this offer, you'd need to activate it on the Velocity website first or in the Velocity app, and then book by the 2nd of June. This offer is valid for travel dates up until the 19th of April 2022, and it's valid on all Virgin Australia marketed and operated domestic and trans-Tasman flights, although trans-Tasman, as we just discussed, is just over to Queenstown at the moment. For more information, see the AFF article linked in the episode notes. It's called How to Maximise Velocity's Bonus Status Credits Offer in May 2021. And for current promo codes, you can also see our article. It's linked in the episode notes, or just have a look for it on australianfrequentflyer.com.au. It's called Current Virgin Australia Discount Codes. 
And by the way, those Virgin promo codes, um, there's new ones coming up all the time. We do regularly update that article. And you can use that on pretty much any fare type to get a discount whenever you book a Virgin Australia flight. Well, I've had some feedback from the last episode where you might remember in episode 60, I spoke to a lady who was able to successfully redeem points to get her partner back from Europe to Australia last month in business class, um, despite all the arrival caps and the other issues of getting into Australia at the moment. Well, it looks like someone else has also been successful. On the AFF on Air discussion thread, um, there's some feedback from Sue Corbell who says, My husband and I managed to get back to Australia last November on points. We had an American Airlines points ticket using Cathay London to Hong Kong to Perth. Admittedly, we had some flight cancellations in May and then in August before the November flights came through. 14 days before the first flight, I had a call from Cathay head office in Hong Kong confirming that we wanted the seats on the flight. And after that, the process was very smooth. It cost us $330 each in taxes and 85,000 miles each. Uh, I guess that would be for business class. So, And we were very lucky, Sue says. Uh, that's, yeah, that's really great to hear. Um, it's certainly rare, I have to say, that um, people are able to come back to Australia from Europe on points um, during this time because the um, availability of seats is very limited. But it's really pleasing to hear that that worked out for you. Uh, I'm really, really glad about that. Uh, I do think, unfortunately, because Cathay Pacific now is just doing one flight a week to Sydney from Hong Kong, um, its schedule has been really paired right back. I doubt this is going to work with Cathay, uh, with Cathay Pacific specifically uh, right now, but... Um, but great to hear that it worked for you then. And uh, and as as we as I discussed with Devin in the last episode, um, it is you know difficult and unlikely to work but it is possible so something to keep in mind if um if you're having trouble getting back to australia i guess and you've got lots of points although definitely worth having a backup now i also received um a question by email after the last episode from peter who says interesting point you made regarding Qantas business rewards in the podcast i was never sure as to whether to keep them separate and Peter has a follow-up question. He says, um, given that these points were earned as part of the business and have bad value on the books, according to Peter, are there fringe benefits tax implications? Or say, if you dissolve the business and transfer the points to a company director, would they be seen as income? Uh, this is a difficult question and not one that I'm 100% sure about. And I'll preface this by saying that I'm not an accountant and this definitely should not be considered financial advice. Um, and there's, there doesn't seem to be any one-size-fits-all answer here. So you should definitely talk to an accountant for individual advice. But I have done a bit of research and this is what I've found to the best of my knowledge. And the short answer is quite possibly yes, it could well have fringe benefits tax implications in some such, uh, some situations, but here's the long answer. Now, it's generally considered that frequent flyer points earned to your personal frequent flyer account from work travel are not classified as income and are earned on the basis of a relationship between the employee and the airline, not between the employer and the employee. So in this case, fringe benefits tax wouldn't really apply. So for example, if your if your employer pays for you to do a work trip, you put your frequent flyer number on the booking and earn points to your personal account from the airline. I mean that's something that you've decided to do. That's not a that's not an arrangement between you and the employer. So there's no real FPT implications. However, there could be some fringe benefit tax implications if, for example, an employee was earning points by putting business expenses through their personal credit card, if there was no reason for them to be doing this other than uh, so that the employee can earn points for personal use. 
Um, now, this and this could also be an issue if, for example, an employee was earning more than two hundred and fifty thousand points a year for business expenses. Um, or if the points were awarded to the employee under an arrangement between the business and the employee as a substitute for income. Now, what about the case um, in Peter's question of transferring Qantas Business Rewards points to an employee or in a company director? Well, I had a look at the Qantas Business Rewards terms and conditions, and they actually have, um, in section 15, they actually have a section on taxation implications. And I'll read this, I'll just quote it word for word. So 15.1 says, Qantas Business Rewards Loyalty recommends that members and their nominated Qantas Points recipients consult their accountant or tax advisor to ensure that they understand possible tax implications, for example, fringe benefits tax if applicable, for which they may be liable in relation to their membership of Qantas Business Rewards and their earning and use of Qantas Points or other Qantas Business Rewards benefits. And then section 15.2 says members should cons- should consult their tax advisor with any queries regarding their eligibility to reclaim Australian GST. With respect to any membership fees, tax invoices will be electronically generated and accessible through the membership account. So that's section 15 of the QBR terms and conditions. Now, to be honest, I don't find that all that helpful, um, but I did find another article written by Cooper Partners in 2019, which does reference this issue directly and is a bit more helpful. And I've put a link to that article in the episode notes. But basically, that article says that um, based on a recent private binding ruling issued by the ATO, um, the ATO has confirmed that where frequent flyer points are transferred to an employee's frequent flyer account under an airline business rewards program, so such as Qantas Business Rewards, this will give rise to a fringe benefit at the time the points are transferred to the employee, subject to the minor benefits exemption. And the article also says that where the employee uses the frequent flyer points for work-related travel, the taxable value of the benefit may be reduced under the otherwise deductible rule. However, practically, this may not be able to be determined until long after the frequent flyer points have been transferred to the employee. So there's a few exemptions there. So, for example, if um, if the uh, amount of points is subject to the minor benefits exemption, then you might not have to pay the, the FBT. Or if you're redeeming the points for work travel or for you know for business expenses. Now, I had a look. The minor benefits exemption is basically for benefits with a value of less than $300 and which are unreasonable to treat as a fringe benefit. Now, if we assume that a point is worth half a cent each, which is roughly what you'd get if redeeming for a gift voucher, so I think that's a reasonable valuation, then that would be equivalent to around 60,000 points being worth $300. In the episode notes, I'll also put a link to some guidance directly from the ATO on these kinds of issues. And that basically says that um, if an employer is rewarding an employee with points, then that would probably be considered a fringe benefit. Although if the points are being redeemed for business expenses like business travel, then probably not, which is basically um, what Cooper Partners has said as well. Um, Now, if if it is the case that the points are considered a fringe benefit, how is this calculated, though? Well, Cooper Partners says that the taxable value of the benefit is to be determined using the notional value of the property, i.e. the amount that the employee could be expected to pay under an arm's length transaction. And, And the ATO says that it's based on the market value of the points and up to you to work out. Now, interestingly, I had a look at section um, at the Qantas frequent flyer terms and conditions, and in section nineteen point four, which is the section on Qantas top up points, it says, and I'll quote. 
Qantas points do not have a monetary value and cannot be converted to money. And also it says that the prices for additional Qantas points, so top-up points, do not represent a monetary value for Qantas points. And most frequent flyer programs have a similar clause stating that the points have no monetary value, although in this case, I think that's more there to limit the liability of the frequent flyer program if they were to sell you the points. And then, for example, you found that you weren't able to redeem them or that you couldn't get enough value out of the points to cover the cost that you paid for them. But to work out the market value, I suppose there's a few things you could do. Like, for example, you could work out how many dollars worth of gift cards you're getting. If you were then to, if you were to redeem the points straight away, you could work out the value of the reward that you uh, redeem them for. I guess that's another um, possible method, I suppose. But I guess it would be up to you to work out, or and and definitely um, talk to your accountant if you're not sure. Realistically, though, I think if it's just a one-off and a very small amount of points, you know, or and if you're using the points to um, cover business travel or things like that, I think it's unlikely to be too much of an issue. So that's the situation to the best of my knowledge. But as I said before, I'm not an accountant. I'm not an expert on this. So definitely um, get some independent advice if that's of concern. And if you happen to be an accountant and you disagree with anything I've said, please feel free to get in touch as well. Well, that's all for episode 61 of AFF On Air. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.